Thank you with you again to preach the Deuteronomy. Welcome to those who are online. We're going to look at uh, the topic of generosity tonight, so I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Lord God, how good it is to sit in a warm building. Thank you for those who generously gave for the building of this building uh, so many years ago. Thank you, Father, for Bibles in our hands, uh, for those who laboured to translate, for those uh, who have provided the finances that we have Bibles in this church. Uh, thank you, Father, for the work of your Spirit, and we pray that he would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, change our wills. Uh, Lord, speak to us tonight by the power of your Spirit and through your mighty word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I think of generosity, I think of a man called Ronald Wilcox. Uh, you've probably never heard of him. He was a banker in the UK. He was a devoted, dedicated man of God. Loved Jesus. Uh, he never preached a sermon. He never led a church service. He never led a Bible study. He's the kind of guy in his church, he'd be there welcoming at the door. He'd be there serving supper or serving morning tea. He was just a humble servant. And he was very wealthy. At his funeral, these words were uttered, and they've really impacted me personally. It was said this, Ronald Wilcox could have died a very wealthy man. Think about that. Ronald Wilcox could have died a very wealthy man. But he chose not to. He chose to use his wealth to give to others and to serve others. He chose to use his wealth to be generous to those around him and to the gospel work. Uh, one day he was walking through the South Bank of London and he had a heart for preaching, good gospel preaching. He was not a preacher, but he wanted to make sure that preaching was done well. And he saw this building in the South Bank of London and an office block was for sale. And he thought, I could buy that, as you do. And so he bought the building. And he, he employed uh, someone to run a school of preaching. It's now called the Cornhill Training School of Preaching. I trained there and thousands of other people have trained at that college. He never preached a sermon, but through his generosity, thousands of men and women are being equipped for preaching. Praise God for that. In 1980, he was walking through Bethnal Green in the east end of London, quite a rough part of London. And he had a real heart for youth on the streets. And he saw a building for sale, and so as you do, he bought the building. And he employed a youth pastor. And every night of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that building was open, and youth would come off the streets. And those youth heard the gospel. And thousands came to Christ. Praise God for that. And today, 40 years later, that's a thriving church in London. I could share countless other stories of how this man humbly used his wealth to give and to give and to give. No applause to him, all applause to Jesus Christ. And I want to say that our church and our world need more Ronald Wilcoxes who have this heart to be generous. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And he's right. What he's saying is that, is that the way that you use your money is like a window into your heart. You, you spend your money on what you value most in life. So if you value fitness, you'll spend your money on a gym membership. If you value entertainment, you'll spend your money on going to the theatre or to concerts. If you value food, you'll spend your money on good food. If you value clothes, you'll buy nice label clothes. And if you value gospel work, you'll spend your money on gospel work. That's true, isn't it? You spend your money on what you value most. And so tonight we're talking about money. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about that. Jesus was not embarrassed about talking about money. 17 of his 38 parables were about money. Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be. And my prayer tonight is actually that, that you be convicted, not because of any need or not because of any budget, but because of a deep love for Jesus. It will just overflow from your heart. And so in Deuteronomy 8 and 14 and 15 tonight, it's all about generosity. I've got two simple points tonight, prosperity and then generosity. Prosperity and then generosity. So let's start with prosperity. Uh, God says, if you are prosperous, uh, please use your prosperity to praise God and not be proud. Prosperity leads to praise, not pride. And I want to say that most people, it's a generalisation, but most people in our church are actually prosperous. But I think we've got a problem. I call it the comparison game. We live in the lower North Shore. And we've got a certain standard of living. And so we're always surrounded by people who have just a little bit more. And so we don't compare ourselves with the rest of people in Sydney. And we don't compare ourselves with the rest of people around the world. We we compare ourselves with our neighbour who has just a little bit more. And so we covet their car or their homes or their holidays or their lifestyle and we like to compete. And the danger of that is that we, we just forget how blessed we really are. We forget how good we've got it. In Deuteronomy 8, God's people are on the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter this land But they spent the last 40 years wandering in the wilderness and they spent 40 years in a dry, arid land and they've eaten manna for breakfast, manna for lunch and manna for dinner for 40 years. And the land they're about to enter is beautiful and bountiful and blessed. Look at chapter 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. It's a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into valleys and hills. You get this picture of ample water, water flowing everywhere. If you've if you spent 40 years in the desert, you're going to long for that, aren't you? Uh, verse 8, it's going to have rich vegetation, a land with wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. We might add wagyu beef and caviar and salmon and fine wine. It just makes you go, oh, that sounds delightful. And they've eaten manna for 40 years, but verse 9, a land whose bread, oh, praise God for bread and sourdough bread. (laughs) And that the bread won't be scarce. And you'll lack nothing. Doesn't that sound amazing? 
bread, wine, food, water. So, verse 10, when you've eaten and are satisfied, what are you called to do? You're called to praise the Lord. Give thanks to God. Give all the praise, all the gratitude back to God for the good land he has given you. Thank God for his lavish provision for your prosperity. Do you ever do that, church? Do you ever thank God for all the bountiful good things you've got? Now, I know that we are good at, we're saying grace before meals. We thank God before a meal. Do you ever thank God after a meal? When you've eaten this this wonderful meal, do you ever stop and say, well, thank you, God, that that, that beef cup was just just delightful and and the, the potatoes were exquisite and that wine was beautiful. Thank you, God, for all these good things you give me. Do you ever thank God for this incredible country that we live in? And the incredible part of this incredible country that we live in. Do you ever thank God that actually most of us have everything we could ever need? Do you ever praise God for that? Or do you just take it for granted? I think we take too much for granted. And I think we've normalised all these luxuries. I went out for my first restaurant meal when I was 10 years old. 10 years, I just ate at home every night. I went out for my first restaurant when I was age 10. It's a great restaurant. It was called Pizza Hut. <laughs> and I went for an all-you-can-eat buffet, and I thought I was in heaven. <laughs> I went for my first restaurant aged 18. And I remember looking at this menu and thinking, well, I don't know what to choose here. And I remember thinking, wow, someone's bringing me my food. How good is that? I went to my first fine dining restaurant, age 25, and the food was exquisite. And to be honest, I left feeling hungry because the portions were, were so small, <laughs> but the food was amazing. And I share that because I just fear that we've normalised all this stuff. We think nothing of eating out once, twice, three times a week. We think nothing of getting takeaways in and buying a coffee every single day. It is not normal. We are blessed to be able to do that. And if we can do that, I'm not saying it's wrong to do it, but if you can do that, praise God. Don't become proud. I think Deuteronomy 8 is a word for us on the lower north shore. Verse 11, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. You don't take it for granted. You don't think you deserve this. You don't squeeze God out of the picture, but recognize this is all from his good hand. Otherwise, verse 12, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build your fine houses, we might add, when you build your mansion in Mossman with a pool, and when you settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large, we might say when your business flourishes and you can buy a holiday home, and when your silver and gold increase and your bank balance is bulging, you have stocks and shares and all you have is multiplied when you can buy a $3,000 designer handbag and when you go on holidays three times a year, when you are blessed with so much prosperity. Then, verse 14, this is warped, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. Isn't that warped? The more prosperous people become, the prouder they become because they find their identity and their status in their stuff. Isn't that warped? 
that wealthy people are obsessed with protecting their wealth and gaining more wealth, but the stats show that they're more unhappy and they always want more. And the stats also show the richer you are, the less generous you really are. And God says, look back and see how God has provided. See where you've come from. Verse 14, it was the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the desert, out of slavery. It was God, verse 15, who led you through that vast, dreadful wilderness. He provided water. He protected you, verse 15, from scorpions and snakes. He gave you manna, verse 16, just enough for every day. He provided. So please, verse 17, do not say, my power and the strength of my hand has produced this wealth. That is nonsense. It wasn't your power. It wasn't your strength. It was the Lord's mighty, powerful, providing hand. How generous is our God to us? Verse 18, the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the ability to produce your wealth. Do you ever think like that? There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with a big house with a pool. It's what you do with it that matters. Are you generous? Are you hospitable? And do you thank God for it? Everything we own belongs to God, 100%. All his. 1 Chronicles 29, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, God, and we've given you only what comes from your hand. It's from God and we give back to God. So get rid of any self-congratulations and stop the comparisons and just say, well, thank you, God, and let me be generous. Remember that story that Jesus told about the rich man who found his identity and possessions and lived for wealth? And he built bigger and bigger and bigger barns. Remember that story? And Jesus said to that man two words, just two words. He said, you fool. You fool. Life is more than possessions. And I want to say, church, please don't be fools. If we are prosperous, then use it for good. If we're prosperous, pray, Lord, show me how to use my riches for your glory and to help other people. I don't need bigger and bigger bars. I just want to be more and more generous. Nothing wrong with eating, drinking, being merry, but I want to do that with other people for your glory. To be honest, I am embarrassed about the amount of money I spend on takeaways and entertainment and coffee. But praise God for all he gives us. But he wants your heart first. Remember the Macedonian church that Paul uses, uses to convict the Corinthian church? The, the Corinthians are filthy rich. They are prosperous. And this Macedonian church have nothing. They are poor. And he said, look at the Macedonian church. They, they begged with me for the privilege of giving. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's the key. They'd understood that Jesus gave himself for, for them. Jesus left heaven and became poor for their sake. They understood that, and at the overflow of their heart, they wanted to give back to God. God does not want your money if he hasn't got your heart. But if he's got your heart, then we should want to use our prosperity for good. You ever heard of Sam Houston? He's the wealthy businessman that the, the city of Houston, Texas, is named after. He met Christ in his middle ages. And suddenly became incredibly generous. He gave away half of his wealth 
And someone once asked him, why are you so generous? And he said this, when I was baptized into Jesus Christ, my wallet was baptized as well. And if you've met Jesus, just give generously at the overflow of your heart. So prosperity, praise, not pride. Number two tonight, generosity, open-handed, not tight-fisted. I love that phrase in Deuteronomy 15, come to it. Deuteronomy 15, it comes twice, verse 7 and verse 11. Verse 7, Deuteronomy 15, 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or, or tight-fisted towards them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend from whatever they need. Same as verse 11, there will always be poor people in the land, therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites. You ever see that a child who is tight-fisted and they've got a toy that they refuse to share and they're holding on to it, clinging on for their dear life. It's mine, 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 mine. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like that with your money. Go, it's mine, 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 mine. No, no, open your hands. Open your hands freely. And when you see a need... Work in your heart just to be soft-hearted and to give, 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 give. It's funny, it? 20 years as a pastor now, I, I don't think anyone's ever come to me and said, Paul, I am really struggling with generosity. Oh, people have said I'm struggling with lust and lying and lack of forgiveness. But no one's ever come to me and said, Paul, I'm just not being generous enough. I, I spend way too much money on me and I don't give enough away. But God's commanded his people to be generous. He's commanded his people to give. In the Old Testament, it was called a tithe. That word means just 10% or a tenth. Look at 14 verse 22. He says, be sure to set aside a tenth, a tithe, of all your fields produce each year. End of the year, end of the financial year, you sit down with all your produce and 10%. You carve that off and you give it back to the Lord. That's the principle here. Back in Exodus, back in Numbers, they gave to the priest at the temple here in Deuteronomy. It's actually a feast. They're commanded in verse 23 to to go to Jerusalem and to eat the tithe. How good is that? 10%, you eat it. Your grain, your new wine, your olive oil in the presence of the Lord your God. It's like a a, a celebration, a joyful festival. I hope you know that. There there is great joy in generosity. You don't give out of duty. You give out of of delight. You don't give out of obligation, but an overflow of your joyful heart. God does not need your tithe. Of course he doesn't. But he just wants to see joy in your heart as you give. So verse 23, they learn to to revere or to fear or to be in awe of God, to depend on God, to love God. And I love how practical God is. He's always so practical. He's saying, verse 24, if you've got a bumper crop that year, if your gift is too heavy to carry such a long way, then exchange it for silver. And when you get close to Jerusalem, just buy whatever food you want. And there, verse 26, in the presence of the Lord your God, you rejoice. You feast, you celebrate. God loves a joyful giver. 
It reminds me of a lady called Brenda. She's now gone home to be with the Lord. She was an amazing woman of God. She lived in a housing commission in London. She had very little. And one evening after church, when I was a pastor in London, she came to me with an envelope and said, I want to give this to youth ministry at your church. I opened the envelope and there was £2,000 in there. That's about $5,000. From a woman who lives in a housing commission. I said, Brenda, you can't afford this. And she said this. She said, Paul, please don't rob me of my joy of giving. Please don't rob me of the joy of giving. Do you ever feel like that? You just want to give, give, because there's joy in your heart. Their generosity was joyful, and it was other person-centered. Verse 27 of chapter 14, don't neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Don't neglect that tribe called the Levites who were scattered. They had no land. They relied on the tithes of the other 11 tribes. These were the men and women who were set apart for religious duty. They were the, the temple singers, the temple servers. And he's saying, don't forget those who are, are being set aside for the Lord's work. You want to add, please give to gospel workers because nobody else in our world will give to them. So give joyfully, give to the Lord's work and give to the poor and give to the needy and give to the marginalized. That's the gospel at work. Verse 28, the Levites. So verse 29, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows, the destitute. You might add the refugees or the homeless. Give so that they may eat and be satisfied. God's church, God's people have always been commanded to care for the poor, to care for the needy. That's what we were known for. Ever heard of the Earl of Shaftesbury? He was a reformer in the UK. He was an aristocrat. He was born into a, a filthy rich family. But his heart was for the orphans and the widows. He just gave, 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 gave and brought relief and brought transformation to that society. At his own funeral, a, a poor beggar who had met Jesus through his ministry stood up in tattered clothing and said this, God knows he loved us and we loved him too. We shan't see his likes again. I hope that's not true. I hope that there are his lights in every single church, in every single pew. Because the expectation is if we love Jesus, we'll be generous to those in our church and our community who are most in need. And that's why Deuteronomy 15 is so confronting. He's basically saying, cancel your debts every seven years. Just as the land was left fallow to rest every seven years so the poor could glean. So cancel your debts every seven years. Verse 2 of chapter 15. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they've made to a fellow Israelite. If you've lent money to a brother or sister in the Lord, don't ask for it back. Let it go. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. Now he's not saying cancel all your debts, like commercial debts, 
Verse 3, you, you may require payment from a foreigner or from a trader, someone you've done business with. That's okay, but if a brother or sister, a fellow Israelite owes you something, cancel that debt. Now, debt can be crippling. As we sit here today, half a million Australians have crippling credit card debt. It's like a vicious cycle. And he's saying, in the church, just give people a break. Let it go. Don't keep an account of what you've lent to somebody or how much they owe you. Let it go. How would you apply this in our church? If there's a brother or sister in need, just wipe away that debt. If you see someone in need in our church, I hope you stop and think, is God asking me to give to that person to, to, to help them out? I'm not talking about passing on your clothes that you don't like anymore or that you don't fit you anymore. That's called decluttering. That's not called giving. (laughs) I'm calling you to give from the overflow of your heart when you see someone in need. Verse 4 is striking. There need be no poor people among you. That's the promise for God's people. In the land, there was more than enough for everyone to enjoy. There shouldn't be poverty, he's saying. If everybody of God's people obeyed this command for generosity, there should be no poverty. But verse 11 seems to contradict that. There'll always be poor people in the land, he says. Go figure that. There need be no poor, verse 4, but there'll always be poor people, verse 11. Why is that? It's because the ideal doesn't match the reality. Because of the problem called sin. Where the prosperous either don't see the needs or think somebody else can meet the needs or blatantly ignore the needs. And he's super strong in verse 5. Fully obey, 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 he's saying. Because generosity towards the poor and the needy is not an option, it's called obedience. And I know we've got a welfare system unlike this generation, but that's still no excuse. Augustine said this, much of what the rich have is superfluous. But what is superfluous to the rich is necessary to the poor. That's confronting. Go home, look around your homes. What is superfluous? What could you give? Look around the church. There are people in our church struggling to pay the bills, clothe their kids, struggling to feed. Wander down to Greenway. There are brothers and sisters down in a housing commission who love Jesus, who have great needs. Allow God to stir your hearts towards generosity. And please don't say, oh, poor, be wise. Come on, be wise, poor. Don't give money to alcoholics or drug addicts. You can give them food. And who are you to decide how they're going to spend the money? Someone said this, I, I can't know the real poor from the false poor, but God can. And God in his wisdom lets the sun shine on the wicked and the righteous alike. So our generosity needs to be joyful. It needs to be other person sent. It needs to be towards gospel work, kingdom work, and the poor and the needy. So here are some questions as we finish. Should Christians tithe? Should Christians tithe? Massive debates over that one. I want to say we're not under law, we're under grace. So we're no longer prescribed, but it's it's an excellent principle. Nowhere in the New Testament does God command 10%. 
In fact, Jesus mentioned tithing twice. And both of those times were in terms of abusing the tithe, hiding behind your tithe, having a religious tithe where you give 10%, but your heart is far from God. God doesn't want your money if he hasn't got your heart. But we can give generously, abundantly, sacrificially. 10% is just a good place to start, isn't it? James Kraft, he's the man who founded the processed cheese called Kraft. He was a Christian man. He said this, this, I I don't believe in tithing, but it's a great place to start. Now, if you all gave 10%, just think how much work could be done with that. But some of us here are so wealthy, we could give 30% and still live very comfortable lives. It's what grace does. An overflow of the heart. How should we give? Go and read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Read that tonight. He says, give sacrificially, give generously, give thankfully, give according to your means, not to somebody else's means. Don't compare what God has given you. Sit down, pray, and think, how much can I give? Give actually. Don't just talk about giving. Do it. I wonder how much genuine, rich generosity is just clogged up somewhere in a pile of admin. But give gladly to the poor, to the needy, to the gospel work. Let me ask, why aren't we more generous? Why aren't we more generous? Now, it could be busyness. It could be laziness. It could be good intentions. I just wonder if there's two things. I wonder whether it's selfishness. We like to give to the things that we benefit from. You know, if if we've got teenagers, we'll give to youth work because we we get back from that. It's that selfish mindset, I give to things that I get back from. But did you realise that each of us here are the beneficiaries of other people's generosity. We sit in this building and on these chairs with this sound system because other people have given so that you can enjoy church. And the second reason is I think it's a, it's a lack of trust or a fear. We, we fear if we were to give, then we'd go without. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you give, you are blessed. Do you believe that? 14.29, the Lord blesses you in all that works of your hand. 15 verse 6, the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. 15 verse 10, the Lord will bless you. Now, now don't mishear me. I, I am not saying if you give $100, you get 200 back. That's called a prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. But try it. When you give sacrificially, God does meet all your needs. And often miraculously, it's called living by trust, living by faith. It's handing over control to God rather than being in control of everything yourself. And there's such blessing, you know, in that thrill of, of seeing how your generosity has, has led to somebody coming to faith or growing their faith. Nothing beats that. It really is more blessed to give than to receive. So give, give generously, give with an open hand, not being tight-fisted, with a soft heart, not a hard heart. Just give, 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 give. Church, can I I urge us to be countercultural? 
it struck me this week as I was walking around Woolworths that we've been taught to hunt for the bargain, to leave Woolworths having spent the least amount of money possible, to find the cheapest things that are on sale so we feel good about ourselves. When it comes to generosity, just flip that around. Rather than spending the least possible, just spend, 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 spend. Not, not at Woolworths, but on gospel work. Let's spend on God's work. Spend on the poor. Spend on the poor. Spend on the needy. And just see how God will bless you. He'll provide more than you need. And you'll get that thrill. That thrill of seeing his kingdom grow. So Ronald Wilcox, he could have died a very wealthy man. I'm so thankful he didn't. And my prayer for us as a church is that we will be known for our our generosity. Our generosity. Let me pray. Father, I want to stop and just thank you. And praise you for the prosperous lives that we live in this part of this world. Father, we praise you for the houses we live in, for the food we enjoy, for the cars we drive, for the clothes that we wear. Thank you that you have blessed so many of us with just Riches to buy coffee and buy takeaways and to eat out. Praise you, God, for that. But please, Lord, would you give us hearts that are generous. May we, may we not be tight-fisted, but open-handed. For your glory and for your growth of your kingdom.